Hello and welcome to Talking Economics, where we give our authoritative take on global markets, the economy and the world of business. I'm your host, Salak Saravanan, and thank you for listening to this episode. In our last, last episode, we looked at how and why the food industry benefited during the pandemic. So in today's episode, we're going to look at the future of the food industry with the help of Olam's Chief Financial Officer, Mr. Neela Mani Kumar. Thank you very much for being here, Mr. Muthu. Before we dive into the episode, could you please share with us what your job entails and more information about Olam? Sure. Hi, good morning, everybody, and hi, Tilak. Thanks for inviting me to this podcast. Always it is a pleasure to talk about our company, Olam International, as well as about how the food industry is shaping up, especially post the impact of the pandemic. So I work for Olam as a group chief financial officer, been with Olam for 24 years, and Olam is 32 years old, and we operate in 65 countries. Uh, We have more than 200 factories across the world, and we are headquartered in Singapore and listed in Singapore Stock Exchange. We are one of the largest uh, food producers in the world, and we have what we call as farm to fork. Uh, We have plantations, we have farms, we have factories, we have warehouses, we have ships, we have destination processing, we have brands, and we have uh, sustainability firmly etched in our hearts to ensure that we are able to reimagine global food systems for the entire industry. Thank you very much for shedding some light on both your company and yourself. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. During the pandemic, the importance of an online presence was highlighted. Industries, industries had to adapt to the pandemic, and creating an online presence was sort of a necessity during that period. However, whilst core industries like appliances, electronics, and other domestic products established their presence in the commerce domain, quite immediately, the food industry has been relatively slow in the upkeep. Why is that? Uh, it is uh, It is uh, correct to say that online presence is important. I wouldn't necessarily agree with you that the food industry is not at the forefront in the online. All the examples that you typically quoted in electronics and others are actually on the online on the last leg of the value chain, which is typically facing the end consumers. So if you look at in the food industry, in fact, the last leg of the value chain is actually facing the end consumers. The restaurant food, and groceries are probably uh, transacted more online than any other industry. So uh, definitely uh, there's a lot going on in the entire food value chain, uh, especially in the middle of the section where the supply chain is very critical. Post the pandemic, uh, the food industry had reacted very strongly in using technology innovatively to ensure that food is actually shipped across the world. And uh, there are so many examples that is not readily visible to the end consumers in the food industry because usage of uh, cutting-edge technology like blockchain, for example, to ensure food traceability, because that is a big ask for the end consumers nowadays. They want food safety and they want traceability, where it is being sourced from, uh, is it sustainably sourced. All of that is actually being made through the implementation of digital technologies. If you really look at OLAM, we have a digital platform called AdSource. It's a very unique platform wherein we are able to provide traceability guarantees to both our suppliers and customers across the world. So if you buy a ton of cocoa from us uh, sitting in Europe, uh, you can exactly know from which village in Ghana or Ivory Coast in West Africa this particular ton of cocoa was produced. And who are the type of people there? How many women are there? Is there any child labor? Uh, we can give a variety of KPIs, which are so important to customers, uh, especially in the developed markets. Mm-hmm. As you said, 
Traceability of food supply chains is a key ask for consumers in the recent years. But um, if your industry makes it transparent, wouldn't it increase competition in your industry? Because competitors would approach your suppliers, right? So you'd be left in the worst end of it, right? So uh, transparency is a necessity. And I think it is no longer a competitive edge. So if you don't provide transparency, you will actually end up losing customers. So it has become a necessity rather than a competitive edge. And uh, in agriculture is the second oldest profession in the world. And uh, you typically grow market share. The industry doesn't grow because everybody is consuming food. So it is about how innovative you are in terms of uh, doing new things to continuously be ahead of the curve. And sustainability is one where OLAM is at the cutting edge and we are the leaders in the industry. And that provides a very significant competitive advantage. That's a very interesting point you made of how technology isn't immediately seen by consumers, but there's a deep investment in technology for your company and your industry. Another thing that gained a lot of traction during the pandemic was globalization 4.0. And several industries have accelerated their investments in their technological departments for globalization 4.0. With technology being crucial to your industry, has it replicated such behaviors? And what does globalization 4.0 mean for your industry? So uh, for us, um, like an international company like us, globalization is very essential. Uh, nationalization is anti-business, right? And we clearly uh, want to look at global supply chains being uh, intact. One of the critical things in agriculture industry is that you cannot grow crops anywhere where you want you like, because there are certain agroclimatic conditions that are so critical for you to grow certain food crops. So you just can't grow palm oil, uh, for example, palm plantations. If you have in Indonesia and Malaysia, they are between three degrees of north and south of equator. If the agroclimatic conditions are away from that distance, palm plantations don't grow. So there are many examples like that. So you have to grow food where it can grow. But because of globalization, we all eat uh, food imported from Australia, imported from the US, imported from Europe, and vice versa. And that is so critical for us. And the implementation of technology and digital in that is very, quite critical. For example, if you look at uh, drones, so historically, if you have a large plantation, people will walk through the plantation and see whether the trees are growing properly, they are watered correctly, are they wilting? So it is very human intensive in nature. But nowadays, we just allow a drone to go up and they see the foliage and then they can have early detection system. So there are many, many things that uh, we are doing and the industry is doing in actually leveraging on technology to minimize waste. Because a big thing about us, uh, there is more than enough food to feed the world is being produced. But a lot of wastage is happening because of inefficient uh, supply chain as well as uh, consumer wastage at the table. Uh, people like you and I in the developed markets actually waste 25% of the food every time we consume. If you are conscious about what we eat and how we eat, I think we will have more food to balance out for the needy in the world. I mean, throughout this episode, you've um, emphasized how technology has plays a huge role in your industry. But unfortunately, this technology also carries a carbon footprint. And over the past decade, several research papers have been released on pollution on how much we need to be eating, how much we need to reduce, and what we need to cut out of our diets, you know. And a particular research paper found the food industry is responsible for about 26% of the global pollution. And another research paper said if food production reduces the distance it travels, it will decrease the pollution by a large amount. So is it likely to see firms shift 
their resource closer to home to reduce the pollu- carbon footprint and their pollution? So I don't see the trend happening immediately. Mm-hmm. I think global supply chains for food industry is there to stay because there are so many interlinkages across the supply chain. So much interdependencies are there between the producer of the raw material, the agricultural raw material, to a uh, supply chain manager who warehouses and stores these commodities. And then there are processors and transformers who uh, convert that into edible form. But at so much of interdependency in the supply chain, it will be very difficult for people to undo that. Uh, yes, uh, the, the overall greenhouse gas emissions that you talked about, 26%, is primarily coming out of meat production and livestock uh, farming. It is not so much in actually plant-based farming. And we have to do our bit. First is reduce food wastage by having efficient supply chain and store, storage and warehousing facilities. Second, you also look at how do we um, uh, enhance uh, food production. Now, food production can be enhanced by having the right input, you know, the seeds, the agricultural inputs like fertilizer. All of that can be right amount put. You don't overutilize or overextract pesticides and uh, fertilizer for food production. All of this will lead to uh, global warming uh, through the greenhouse gas emissions. Technology is so important for us in food industry today. Um, I can't overemphasize the reliance that uh, large organizations like us are doing. So one in typically you you have to remember that most of the food is produced by smallholder farmers, and they need long-term wealthy life for them to continue to stay interested in producing food. If nationalization happens, like the way you said closer to home, if the production is limited to closer to home and then they don't um, send it into a globalization part, the many of the smallholders will not survive. So it is essential for them to produce more food, which is required more than their national economies can consume and export to other countries where these food crops cannot be grown. So my view is that this global supply chain in agriculture and food is there to stay. Okay. But you know, you said supply chains are I like to say it's quite a sensitive thing, you know, like with the, especially the United States imposing a lot of taxes and tariffs on like certain when where things are being imported from and etc. So if there's even a small like issue or a tax on on a on a certain supply, how big does it impact your industry? So um, intervention, political intervention or governmental intervention into protecting national interest, uh, so to speak. For example, U.S let's say, banning any Chinese imports and vice versa, has a big impact on the food industry. So historically, I can give you an example. Historically, uh, China is the biggest importer of U.S. soybeans, right? And after the U.S.-China trade war, uh, China banned U.S. import of soybeans. And people who have got significant investments in silos, in warehouses, in processing facilities in the U.S., uh, all these companies uh, are having a, a significant problem. On the contrary, OLAM, which is an asset light model, we actually switched from US to Brazil okay. and started uh, sending uh, into Brazil uh, soybeans into China. But it has had a significant impact. Uh, any governmental intervention is anti-globalization mm-hmm. and anti-business. Uh, so you, earlier you said technology is an enabler for your industry with um, new and cleaner technology being produced every day. Will your industry ever reach a point where carbon emissions are minimal or zero? So um, 
for example, OLAM, we are talking about reducing uh, in wherever we are impacting 50% mm -hmm. by 2030, okay. right? And large food organizations, many of them like Unilever and Kraft and Mars and Hershey's, all of them have pledged that they will reduce carbon emissions by at least 50% in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it just it's just not the governments that can do. Every one of us have to do. Uh, in OLAM, we have developed an app called Adva, ADVA, uh, which is there in Google uh, uh, Google Play or Apple uh, App Store. You can download. This will help you to uh, track and monitor how much carbon you are emitting as an individual every day and suggest lifestyle changes which can help you in reducing carbon emission as an individual. For example, if you, in Singapore, uh, roughly 34% of the people on an average use seven hours of uh, air conditioning, mm -hmm. right? And that is equal to 50 kgs of carbon emission. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you use seven hours of a fan, it is five kgs, you can actually reduce carbon emission by 10 times. Mm -hmm. So there are many ways, many paths to heaven. Uh, the industry is definitely committed to reducing carbon mm -hmm. uh, by having um, forest covers, by doing smart crop rotations, mm -hmm by reducing water footprint, by reducing waste foot footprint, we are committed uh, globally mm -hmm. to reduce carbon emission. What's the next step after 2030? Will we, con will we continue this trend or will it be, let's say after 2030 we're done with this, or is it gonna keep going? We're gonna push for zero or minimal pollution. Yeah. See, the, the trend for, uh, there's a lot of chatter now on carbon emission, right? But real action uh, when it starts taking momentum globally and reaching the common man is going to take 10 years. Mm -hmm. So we believe that we are forerunners in trying to do all of these things to excite the attention of the world. But the real momentum will start by 2030 where it will be a juggernaut. Uh, there will be no looking back in terms of uh, achieving a net zero impact of carbon by 2050 or 2060. And you know, you said um, we're going to be uh, it's going to be a juggernaut in 2030, but do you think it's going to be too late by then, or is it going to be what we what you're doing right now is not going to be insignificant by the time we reach there, or what you're doing now is setting up the path and you're just creating building blocks, so by the time you reach there, everything is fine. So, personally, I think we are too late. It's a climate emergency. It's not a climate change, and everybody have to start waking up to that today to ensure that we have a better world tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, you know, there are uh, people who are unaware or who disagree with this. But if you look at all the uh, natural disasters which are happening across the world now and with frightening frequency, right, and that's a clear signal of climate emergency. Uh, I don't think there is enough that is being done, but people are really waking up uh, very strongly now and uh, we are in the right direction. Hopefully we are not too late. Thank you very much, Mr. Mukti, for your profound insights. Thanks for listening to Talking Economic. I hope you've enjoyed our deep dive into the future of the food industry. In my next few episodes, I'll be looking at another industry that was impacted during the pandemic. If you're keen to hear more about the industry and how it was impacted during the pandemic, join me here next week. Thank you.